Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a new episode of Esports Boom, your weekly esports business wrap-up podcast. Um, my name is Maurice Eisenman, and this week I'm joined by Mo Halaba, the founder and CEO of Rekt. So over the past couple of weeks, we've had people from brands, we've had we've had guests from the journalism space, from the team space, uh, but this will be the first time that we're having someone who is building something in esports from the ground up, like a, uh, a startup perspective. And I think uh, that's a perspective that we have missed in the podcast. So I'm very, very happy uh, to have you on, Mo. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we'll talk, uh, obviously, in the second half, a lot more about Mo's story and and really the, the fascinating stuff that Rekt is doing. Um, but let's get right into kind of the meat of the of the of the business news this week. So our first story actually isn't focused on esports specifically, but I think it has a lot of uh, effects for the esports industry. So Gamer Network has been bought by PAX operator Reed Pop. So pe- people who don't know what uh, Gamer Network is, they're kind of a, a com- combination of uh, websites and YouTube channels. Um, they own Eurogamer, Rock Paper Shotgun, GameIndustry.biz, uh, VG247, Outside Xbox, Digital Foundry, and US Gamer. Uh, they also organizes the UK's biggest game event called EGX and the indie game event EGX Rest. So um, obviously uh, this brings both the uh, event side and the editorial side into Reach Pops' uh, already expansive uh, arsenal, so to say. Uh, so Mo, I'll give you uh, the mic first. Uh, what are your initial thoughts on this story? Um, I think it's a good example of the continuing vertical integration within the space that we've been seeing. I think it makes a lot of sense uh, if you're going to own, you know, media, news outlets, and things like that to uh, to get into uh, or to combine with the live events business because that way. You know, if you, you can have the online personalities that people like at the events and you can also get the, you know, the millions of fans who turn up for these events um, more interested in the stuff that happens online. So um, I think it works both both ways. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's good what you're saying. I think key here is that both businesses kind of are mutually beneficial to each other. On the one hand, um, you have, you know, Repop that organizes tons of gaming oriented festivals um, these uh, editorial sites and, and YouTube uh, YouTube channels uh, obviously give a, a kind of a promo outlet, but that's a very surface level. If you look a bit further, these websites have personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, they might not be the biggest personalities, uh, but definitely something that packs can can grow and they can use their platform to help grow the websites and vice versa. Um, I think also that a PAX leadership uh, might kind of change this whole combination of websites because the way gamer network is, is they focus on tons of niche websites. Uh, they might integrate that a lot more. Um, they've been known to do that in, in a very, very good way. Uh, so I think this is, this is very, very interesting. Um, are you, um, are you excited for PAX this year? Absolutely. Um, every year PAX is just full of incredible people doing really crazy things. I mean, just from the first thing you notice is uh, on the way in all the cosplayers, and so I'm excited to see you know what kind of new uh, costumes we'll see. Definitely all the the games that have introduced new heroes. You so you know you should expect uh, some of those, and then uh, you know, all the new games that have come out. Um, 
like PUBG and Fortnite yeah. teams uh, is, I think, the big one that I'm expecting. Yeah, I, I remember um, E3 last year. Uh, they opened it up to the public for the first time. And so tons of people came. And I was there on the industry side, uh, but there were you know tons of people that were consumers. And I, and I talked with a lot of them. And they were all saying, like, there's no one here in cosplay. Um, we, we have to wait so long in lines to play games. And they all figured that this would be another PAX, which it really wasn't. I mean, although E3 next this year is doing something different, which I think is good. Uh, but what I do think is that PAX really is that long weekend where um, everyone can truly be their inner gamer, right? Well, uh, E3 is still at its roots, like an, an industry yeah. thing, right? And so I was there too. And, and um, while I did see a lot of really enthusiastic gamers, you, you go over next door to the, the Marriott and the whole place is full of uh, games Absolutely, executives, yeah. you know, uh, chatting and networking and stuff like that. When you look at PAX, I think it's way more like, it's almost like Disneyland for gamers. Like people show up in costume and there's all the different developers are there and all the different, you know, things that they like and they wander around the, the floor and um, there's merchandise and and uh, uh, they can play the different games. And it's it's a lot more exciting, I think, for the uh, the fan. Yeah, and um, I think uh, PAX is slowly embracing esports more, right? Mm-hmm. Um during PAX South, we had an there was an esports arena which uh, had uh, a Hearthstone tournament, which was really cool. They had a lot of uh, FGC tournaments as well. This year uh, at PAX East, um, we're having the MLS, the MLS Cup. Uh, we're having some other uh, esports tournaments as well. So I think that is good uh, because it it gives um, similar to how PAX is kind of a way to introduce fans to new games. Uh, this was kind of also a way to introduce fans on a surface level to um, a lot of different esports titles as well, kind of the esports experience, so to say. Absolutely. Um, so, what, I mean, when I was there last year for PAX East, there was a, uh, there was a Hearthstone tournament mm-hmm. going on during the event. Yeah. And actually, um, you know, the players that weren't playing currently, they were actually, you know, um, talking to fans and... Uh, uh, there was an area upstairs uh, where you could play against some of the pros. Uh, so I, I actually got to try out some of my decks <laughs> against the uh, the top pros. It didn't really go so well. Um, but I think going back to the uh, the deal that we were talking mm-hmm. about, I think this is uh, this highlights some of the um, the positives of that deal. Is that going forward you'll be able to do that a lot more, not only with esports pros. But also with you know your Twitch celebrities and YouTubers and yeah, and I think Pax now all of a sudden has a has more to offer to brands because they can say to let's say Coca Cola, Coca Cola, if you host a tournament at our venue, um, we'll write about the tournaments in the websites, um, we'll give you additional reach. Uh, so all of a sudden, that obviously complements uh, the current offering for Pax as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I saw they were. Um... You know, some brands were like handing out samples of their products and things like that. If you then also have, you know, your favorite YouTuber like eating the thing they're handing out and p- posting pictures of it on Instagram, that's a, that's a lot stronger for the uh, um, for the sales team. So enough about the pack story because I'm I'm already getting ready for for to to go there next month. But um, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, Kevin Durant, and Odo Beckham Jr. Uh, are one of the many uh, that joined the 38 million esports capital raise of Vision Esports. So 
we've already mentioned uh, the Cardinals, Kevin Durant, Ola Beckham Jr. Um, but uh, TPG Growth and CEA uh, are all part of this kind of investment um, in Vision Esports, so the New York Yankees. Uh, who are competitors of the Cardinals, which is interesting. They're already an investor in Vision Esports. Um, so just for, for people who don't know what Vision Esports is, so the big company that's that's part of Vision Esports is Equifox, um, Rick Fox's esports team. Um, they also own a tournament organizer and record, record kind of bookkeeper, uh, Twin Galaxies, and they own Vision Entertainment, um, which is going to announce a lot more in the future but currently is mainly known for their Facebook live show in collaboration with Facebook. That's like a, a daily live uh, game show. Uh, so Mo, once again, I'll give you the mic for your initial thoughts. Um, I think it's a big deal and a big deal for esports. Um, you've got everybody kind of investing in, in this thing. Um, some, some really famous celebrities, you know, top of their game, uh, as well as some really smart investors um, and a huge media company. I mean, I think typically when you look for investment, you look for, uh, on top of just money, you want strategic investors. Mm-hmm. And I think they've really covered all their bases. I mean, you have, you've got TPG who've been doing this forever. You've got, uh, one of the biggest media companies in the world invo- uh, involved through their mm-hmm. own private investing. And then you've got some of the biggest sports stars. Yeah. It's uh, it's a very good, uh, uh, it's a very good round. So just to um, hop on that, I didn't mention that in kind of the story, but um, Shamrock Holdings, which is the private investment arm of Disney, is one of the uh, investors as well, which is really, really big. Uh, to focus on this particular investment, so a lot of people were like, oh, Echo Fox is worth, because I think this puts the company at over $150 million. People are like, Echo Fox is worth $150 million. That's not necessarily true, because this also includes Twin Galaxies, which is hosting the H1Z1 Pro League this year and Vision Entertainment, who are both, you know, revenue generating companies. Um, So I think that those kind of comments are a bit off. Uh, That being said about this particular investment, I always like it when um, companies or investors invest in a sector rather than a small subsection. So this actually might be a safe bet or safer bet because um, you're, 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 you basically have your hands in multiple pockets. So if for some reason Echo Fox doesn't do well, but Twin Galaxies you know, becomes a major tournament organizer, uh, you do well in the end. Uh, same with Vision Entertainment. So I think this is a pretty a safe bet or as safe as it can get in esports, which obviously isn't safe at all. <laughs> I, uh, I have to agree. I think... Um, you know, if you ask, is, is any esports team alone worth, you know, over a hundred million that we can debate all day, mm-hmm. but this is, this is not just the esports team. This is, you know, a lot of infrastructure and, uh, and stuff that is going to be very crucial to esports going forward. So I think it's a nice diversified bet with also against, um, some of that vertical integration of, of once you have venues and you have uh, uh, tournament organizers and you have teams, you know, you spread your, uh, um, your your bets around the industry. And if you think the industry is going to go well, then hopefully, you know, it's a good investment for them. This is, you know, running a startup and obviously working with investors in any capacity. Um, what is kind of the advice that you would give mm-hmm. to investors that are not familiar with the esports world when looking at all of these startups in the space? I think 
the the biggest thing for non um, non esports investors looking at the sector is probably um, understanding you know the games that are played and the dynamics and you know it, it's it's very easy to look at it and see the whole sector is booming. Uh, but I think if you want to make smart investments in esports, you actually have to look at you know become familiar with each game and and how it's played and and you know why certain things are important you know so if the teams are teams of five or if they're teams of six if substitute players are allowed like in the Overwatch League mm-hmm. I think that makes a huge difference because all of a sudden uh, with the Overwatch League you know you can start building a presence around a city. And you know, two players can go and two players can come, and you don't have to rebrand yourself completely mm-hmm. as you might have to do in Counter Strike. Yeah. Uh, so I think definitely learning the the um, the little details is very important. I think one of the things that we're seeing is, um, on one hand, we're seeing tons of investors come in. But in my opinion, and this is just anecdotal evidence, obviously don't have data to base this on. I think investors are slowly becoming a little bit more educated. Obviously, they're invest- investors who have either done well or have burned themselves in the past in esports and now know the ecosystem better. But I also think that even the investors that are new in this space, um, it's it's more a little bit more of an educated guess um, than it was before. I think that is that is good because I think. Last year, we saw a lot of investment into the space. I think now we're seeing a, a kind of a more of a uh, an educated investor because of that. Absolutely, I think uh, some of the deals that we saw before were, I mean, just p- people throwing money into the sector and trying to see what what sticks. Now, when you look at the uh, the deals that are being done, it's a lot more strategic and deliberate in nature. Um, so it seems like they really understand more the dynamics of the industry and what is missing and where the 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 space for growth is uh so i'll tell you you know last couple of years we see a lot of team investments people Mm -hmm. just buying large stakes in teams and valuations soaring now a lot of the deals that you see are more for like infrastructure and um stuff that in the long term i think you know any team can come and go but uh if, if you own uh, a big stake in all the tournament organizers, you know, that that's very crucial to esports. Yeah, so talking about, you mentioned changing dynamics. So our following story really exemplifies that. So Hi-Rez uh, signed a deal with Microsoft Mixer to exclusively stream Smite esports. Um, so Hi-Rez is known for uh, Smite, which is a, a MOBA, uh, and also for uh, Paladins, uh, which is kind of a, a knockoff of Overwatch. Although there's a whole debate over which one it's came funny first. That, it's right? funny that you call because it that. Paladins came before Overwatch, right? He was uh, so he was in the news. Uh, the the uh, the founder was in the news yesterday, I think, uh, when Overwatch released their new hero. He said uh, something like, "If I." If I point out the similarities between this hero and like our hero, is that the the pot calling the kettle black, or is it the kettle calling mm-hmm. the pot black? I'm not, I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I, 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 okay, so not necessarily a knockoff, but like a, a similar game. It's very towards, similar. Towards it's very similar. Yeah. Question is, who is knocking who off? That's not really yeah. sure, or if it's just coincidence. So, um, just uh, they signed a two-year streaming agreement, exclusive streaming agreement with Microsoft. Uh, that will see both the Smite Pro League and Smite Console series streamed exclusively on Mixer, uh, which is you know Microsoft's competitor to Twitch, 
For those who don't know, uh, while the developers Paladins Pro Leagues airs exclusively on Facebook, so they've already used to um, to having exclusivity on platforms. Uh, general when it comes to Smite esports and their high res expo, so kind of all the other esports things that they're doing besides the Paladins Pro Leagues tended to be on all multiple platforms. Um, so. Mo, what are your thoughts in general about this deal and then also about the trend we're seeing with exclusivity in the uh, esports space when it comes to live streams? Um, I think that this is, it's kind of a big deal because um, ultimately when you choose to go exclusive to something that's not Twitch, like you have to know that you're going to take a hit in terms of viewership, mm-hmm. right? And so there has to be some driving force behind that decision, whether it's, you know, they're getting paid really well uh, or they think that there is strategic value to being aligned uh, specifically with uh, Mixer. Um, and some some of the other deals that we've seen, you know, moving away from uh, ESL did something yeah, with uh, Facebook, with Facebook moving away from um, from Twitch. And the, you know, the rationale there is they think there's a way bigger audience on Facebook. And the, so they're trying to reach out to uh, not necessarily the the esports fans currently, but people that could become esports fans, and that you know they make a point that there's a ton of people on Facebook they can reach. So, um, look looking at this, you know, there's definitely some uh, besides just viewership and money. There's got to be some strategic. Uh... Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, when you're working with Mixer, you're working with Microsoft, and that obviously, from game publisher perspective, is really positive. Um, because, you know, there are tons of possible ways to synergize as well. Um, Mixer has done, has been growing, you know, slowly. Uh, they're obviously not nearly what, where Twitch is. If you're looking at YouTube, I would say YouTube is a, a, a stronger competitor when it comes to viewership at this point. Um, they, uh, when it comes to the NALCS, which is, they get about, you know, 40 or 45% of the, uh, of total viewership, I think. Uh, and with, with Twitch getting the rest. Um, but Mixer is very uh, very well known to innovate a lot. They, they try to do a lot of stuff and, 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 and it works sometimes and, it, and it, sometimes it doesn't work. And this is really shows that Mixer is in it for the long haul and that Microsoft really wants to do something because um, you, won't get, you don't get exclusivity without overpaying. Uh, because they can get third part, they can get uh, non-exclusive rights and obviously pay a fraction of the price. If you want exclusivity, you got to pay for it. The one thing generally when looking at exclusivity that I'm always wondering about is um, how do you go to brands? Because brands uh, brands might have already have signed a few a couple year deals, so they might expect X number of viewers, and now for the next year maybe they might not get any anything close to that because you have to build it up. Uh, so. This is always a consideration. Um, I do think that um, that Mixer probably make, made up for that with the with the offer. Yeah. Um, but this is really interesting. Yeah, you know, kind of to see this 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 follow coming from a. Uh, well, I hate teasing to like the second part, but coming from a, a, a kind of a company that focuses on on editing and stuff. Um, what do you see the the video part? What do you see kind of as the key distinctions between something like a Mixer and something like a Twitch? Well, I think Mixer has always, from its inception, you know, when they started out as Beam, they, they, um, they focus very much on the technological aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, it was, uh, I think they went in and started using like the best 
streaming technology that yeah. was available. And that's a very big distinction from from uh, from Twitch because you know Twitch was trying to make it accessible for for a lot of people. And, yeah. Um, trying to do it in a way where like the you know if you use a bitrate somewhere in the middle. Uh, you can get good quality, but you know it, it still runs on everything. Well, Mixer, like right from the gate, those guys decided like we're going to use absolute mm -hmm. best technology, and so uh, that's something that wasn't really viable as a standalone uh, business, just too expensive. So I think you know within uh, you know weeks or something of pitching at uh, TechCrunch, they, they they got acquired, and yeah. Um, I think Microsoft, uh, Microsoft has an interest in, in that aspect of it, and so definitely they're stepping up their game by signing an exclusive um, media rights with, uh, with Smite. Um, I think on the consumer side, it's, it's a little difficult to pull people away from Twitch just yeah. based on what they do, but definitely in terms of like, um, you know, buying media rights and uh, institutional viewership and whatnot, it's, it's, it's doable, and I think they're doing what they have to to start gaining some of that share. When you see viewership go, when you see um, a, a game go away from Twitch, I always think like this is the perfect test to see the potential staying power of the game. Uh, if if the game has a strong dedicated community, like if Smash, right? If for some reason uh, Smash would uh, decide, you know, for some Nintendo would sign an exclusive deal with Mixer, I bet you there will be a, the, the viewership will drop, but but not as much because you'll have that core following that loves Smash that is very dedicated to the game. Um, with Smite, I don't know to be honest. Uh, I haven't followed the scene enough. Uh, but this will be interesting to see. You know, will it drop to twenty percent of that viewership or maybe seventy percent, and that's better. I'm I'm not quite sure. With Smash is so especially when we're talking about melee. Like mm -hmm. these are people that you know. They, they they find these old TVs and drag yeah. these like year old game cubes just to uh, just to play right so uh, you know no twitch no problem I mean, yeah, I'm sure these guys will continue playing smash and they'll continue running their tournaments and, and, that, and that's great uh, some of the other games I'm not so sure because a lot of them the popularity really is driven by big streamers accessibility um, and accessibility so if, especially if you've got a mobile game uh, something that people play you know when they've got some free time on their phone. Um, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure how that will um, affect the, uh, the viewership numbers, uh, but I mean, I hope it does well. It would be nice to see that um, someone besides Twitch is able to uh, you know, have market share in this area. Yeah, so moving on to our, our next and final story before we move into your story. Um, so Energy Esports announced their Overwatch Contenders team. So. Why it's not necessarily that interesting of a statement by itself, because because most because uh, all because all teams are going to announce their contenders team soon. Uh, this what was really interesting that uh, they've announced a new training home in Washington D.C., um, which will be the home of the team, uh, and they will uh, they will work together with Events D.C., uh, which is a, like a governmental organization that tries to help develop the esports seen in DC and I've been doing some some great stuff lately. So for those of you who don't know, uh, San Francisco Shock is the Overwatch League team of Energy Esports and this team will have the Energy Esports brand. So I know you're an, you're an Overwatch fan, uh, so definitely want to hear what, what you think about this. So I think I think it's a pretty great move for several reasons. Uh, one is that because everyone is starting from scratch with these city-based teams, right? Mm -hmm. Like nobody, nobody really owns LA. You know, 
they just set up shop there. And so I think um, setting something, you know, rather than doing it in the city where they are now, setting something up in, in Washington opens them to potentially, you know, gain, start gaining fans in two cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the success or failures of, you know, either one of their teams, it just, it generally, um, going forward, it's going to be very useful to, to start growing social media and whatever. And if you're the first guy in a new city, it's going to be very easy to start gaining fans. So I hope that that works out for them. The second thing is that uh, working with um, you know local organizations to to raise awareness, whatever, any help that they can get to to boost their brand is going to be very valuable. And having, um, I'm not too sure what the esports scene in uh, DC looks like right now exactly, but having probably the only major facility for that kind of thing is going to be helpful for them. Yeah. So. To answer your question about the scene in DC, it has grown like crazy over the past few years. Uh, Monumental Sports, um, which is a you know, co-owner of Team Liquid, owns the Washington Wizards, and therefore the Washington Wizards 2K team has really tried to push it. Events DC has thrown a, a lot of the, uh, tournaments and stuff, and have have gotten tournaments to the city. The Rocket League World Championship, for instance, was there not too long ago. But they'll be the only they'll be the only like team based in in the, DC. The only non NBA 2K team. Yeah, yeah, um, so a couple things that are, you mentioned kind of the positives. Mm-hmm. I, I think for this particular story, there's a lot of positives, but there are a couple of interesting things to note. Number one, uh, we know that uh, esports teams have to create different branding for the Overwatch League. It is interesting that this doesn't apply to the contenders team because it's mm-hmm. going to be named NRG or NRG Esports Contenders. Yeah. Um, secondly, uh, we've seen these contenders teams Go to some interesting cities. I think we've seen Toronto as, as mm-hmm. one of the contender teams. Now we're seeing DC. Um, these are potential cities that uh, have a strong uh, fan base, have a large uh, number of people. I can imagine that, um, especially Canada, which doesn't have an Overwatch League team yet. Yeah. I can imagine that Toronto is one of the places where you would like to go to and expand into. Uh, but the fact that they have a contender team there, um, it kind of lowers the value of of uh, or have some you know conflict, right? Yeah. So I, I can see where you're getting at, and I definitely definitely agree. I think one of the things that has been, a, I mean, a little confusing. I mean, nobody knows how to do this perfectly, mm-hmm. and we're still you know the the industry is growing. But one of the things that has been a little confusing uh, for potential investors. Um, has been the whole branding issue, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, having to create a new brand from scratch certainly has you know, some, some positives, yes. but also uh, when, you, when you separate that from a brand that already has value and that people know. And, uh, and then um, the, other, the other issue is that if um, some of these contender teams go into cities that you know, may want to have exactly. a Premier League, to, you know, for, better, for lack of a better word, uh, you know, Premier League teams competing in the regular mm-hmm. Overwatch League, all of a sudden, you know, you have a little bit of uh, conflict there. Exactly. It's understandable if it, you know, if if you already had a developed system and you came in and started putting like minor league tier, you know, where there is differentiation, that would be fine. But if it's the first like franchise um, esports team that's coming into a city, then it can be a little confusing, I think. Yeah, and it's kind of to to, to end this. I'm kind of going to make a blanket statement. I think 2018 will be a year where we'll see a lot more involvement by local government in esports. I think uh, 
local municipalities are looking at Events DC and they're looking at the stuff that Vegas is doing and other of these cities and they're saying, we want to have a part of this. Um, I I hope they do it in a good way. I think there's a lot of opportunity, uh, especially to help grow, you know, not these big scenes, but like local uh, local esports scenes and help 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 grow them the same way you would grow a local soccer you know kind of competition. Uh, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Uh, so let's move into our second part of uh, of this podcast and let's talk about you. <laughs> so before we 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 focus on Rekt, um tell us kind of what got you into esports and tell go let, walk us through your your esports story. Sure. So. Some of the, you know, some of the things that I remember from the, the longest ago were probably video game memories. Um, so I used to play this, you know, when I was like three years old at my dentist. They used to have an original NES with uh, the Tiny Toons game. So I used to play that while I was waiting for the dentist, and that's like one of the oldest things that I remember. You didn't mind going to the dentist? No, I mean, I, I hated the dentist, but that was the one yeah. thing that made it slightly better. And so um, I've, I've always loved uh, video games my whole life. Just something about the, uh, um, the, the characters and, and the games and doing things that are impossible in real life, uh, but you know, you're able to do them so easily in the, in the game. I always find really interesting. Uh, I've also been into sports for a very mm-hmm. long time, and so the, and the games that I played were usually you know very competitive. Uh, so I was in you know tennis and soccer, and I even tried out for for basketball once, and I, I have no <laughs> ability in basketball whatsoever. Um, but so with um, with esports, you have the combination of of playing video games uh, and doing something that that I loved with the you know competitive nature of. Of sports, and that's really what got me into it. And so, uh, in high school, we would have uh, Counter Strike tournaments, and so get together and lug all our equipment in, in a room and hook it up and uh, start competing. So that was really how I got into sports. Great. So, so, so talk about after that. Like, what was the kind of as you're talking about what Rec does? What was your kind of this genesis to decide? Hey, I'm going to start this company um, in esports. And, and then tell us about Rekt. Sure. So I, I mean, I started as a console gamer, like way before PC gaming was as accessible as it is mm-hmm. now. And so when you play on console, you're sitting next to the person that you're playing with, right? And there's, there's social interaction, like people would come to your house to, to play, mm-hmm. right? Um, what I found is that as uh, we started going more online, and as companies started getting rid of things like dedicated servers uh, to, to cut costs, essentially the communities and the, the social aspect of it was lost uh, because, you know, now you, you press a button like find matchmaking and it just throws you in with a bunch of people that you don't know and, you know, mm-hmm. they start ins- insulting you. And <laughs> so, um, so I wanted to, to do something to kind of fix that. Uh, I, I wanted to... Uh, have something where if I'm playing a game and something cool happens in the game, I can, you know, the same way that I would look over at my buddy and like talk trash with him, I can do that online now. And, you know, uh, so that's where that's where the inspiration for Rec came from. So if you have to explain Rec to people who are new to the scene, because we have a lot of listeners, we have listeners who are working in esports, but then we have listeners that are um that are just listening because they want to know more about the business they're getting into. How would you explain yeah. what REC does? 
Wrecked is a social media platform for gamers. I would say it's very similar to Snapchat for for a gaming audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we're able to um, edit clips of, of our gameplay and share them with friends and track what our friends are doing, um, as well as discover new content from people that we might want to play with. I actually have a couple of people that I play uh, PUBG now, you know, that I met through the website because they were posting cool content. Um, so that is basically, you know, in a nutshell, what we do. Um, the difference between the, between Rekt and some of the other, you know, big online gaming platforms is that Rekt is focused on the individual, and Rekt is focused on um, recorded media, not live. Mm-hmm. And so there's a couple reasons for that. One is that um, there's already places for people who are celebrities or who are popular streamers to broadcast, and there's no issue with that right now, right? Mm-hmm. The products they have are very good. Uh, but if you are an average guy and you're playing, um, you might not have enough friends to fill up a whole news feed. Or, you know, if, you're, if Twitch has 2 million active um, streamers per month, you know, if your stream is the two millionth, no one's ever going to see your, your, your playing, right? Because they're sorted by popularity. And so um, we focused on recorded media because when you look at recorded media, all of a sudden you can put a whole bunch of content from different people into a feed mm-hmm. and scroll through it the same way that you would like Reddit or Facebook or, or Snapchat, right? Yeah. I think there's a there's a, a very large comparison to be made. And not sure if you're familiar with with the app. There's an app called Overtime, which is doing really well in traditional sports, which is kind of a highlights. They focus on like high school sports, just people recording with their phone. I have heard of that. Yeah. Actually. yeah. So um, and very familiar with the founders of Overtime, yeah. and they are doing really really well. They got an investment from David Stern uh, not too long ago, uh, and this is really interesting because that approach is like was mind blowing for traditional sports, and it's really really cool to see a company like Rekt yeah. uh, replicating that for, I would say, an audience that is more native to sharing because, yeah. because you, you know, it's a lot easier. You're playing anyways. You can, you know, it's recording anyways, so then you, can, you might as well clip it once it's there. So I think, yeah, and I think what, you know, what they're doing is like uh, showcasing the, um, the achievements of the, the common man. I think that's yeah. great because uh, if, you're, if you're a sports fan, you might have seen... Uh, uh, Harding like cross over that dude yeah. and like send him on the floor right mm-hmm. and everyone's like oh um, but you know that happens on, in your local like basketball court you know from people who are friends with each other and they and, and they play and so if you if you catch that on video um, you can share it with your friends you can interact with it you can make new friends you can make fun of your friends it, 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 it's all you know playful um, that's that's what we're doing with Rekt. So we're taking that and we're doing it with video games, basically. That's that's really, really cool. Um, shifting conversation a little bit away from dedicated to Rekt and going into, into startups and esports, what are the specific challenges uh, to running a startup in the esports industry? I think definitely it is a field where if you're not familiar with the ins and outs it can be a little daunting Mm -hmm. Uh, so if i'm trying to explain to somebody you know why you know overwatch now has built-in recording Mm -hmm. capabilities right and so i'm saying well you don't need recording software anymore because you know overwatch can let you record play the game just by pressing you know people are like 
what is Overwatch? I, I don't know. Yeah. So it, it's, and I mean, to, to, to explain the difference of like why Overwatch is different and why it's more social, mm-hmm. etc. It, it's just, it's something that um, is much more of a niche. Uh, and to somebody who is not part of that, it's, it's just a lot more to explain. Like, you know, when, um, when Amazon acquires a doorbell company, like everyone knows what a doorbell is, right? And how, you know, so if you say, oh, it's a smart doorbell and it, and it shows mm-hmm. you who's delivering your packages, it's relatively easy to understand, right? But for esports, it's a bit more complicated than that. Yeah, I think education factor is, is, is very, very important. Um, for people starting new startups in this space, um, as someone who has been who's been grinding at this for 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 a while and is still grinding, yeah. what are the some of the tips you can say to like entrepreneurs coming in? I would say generally for entrepreneurs in the esports space, um, f- from what I've seen, it is um, when you're working in a field that is something that you love. Right, it's really easy to come up with cool ideas. Of you know, so I, I can think of tons of things that we would want to add to our product, right? Um, but I think it's very important to stay focused on um, the important features that are going to, um, you know, what defines your product and what do you need for this to to be successful, right? Not to get too distracted because I've talked to some esports founders that want to add so many things yes. to their product, right? And I say, and I tell them, hey guys, listen, you you got to focus. Like if you start building all this stuff you'll never finish um, the other thing is to make sure that whatever it is that they're building you know regardless of how cool it is that there's a way to make money from it yes um, because a lot you know in esports i see a lot of people building really cool stuff but then i think about it well you know what's your business plan for this and and you know it used to be that if you could just get a whole bunch of people to to use something you could monetize one way or another now now investors look at it with a lot more scrutiny the, the business plan mm-hmm. right so you got to make sure that whatever it is that you're doing, how cool it is, that you know there has to be a way that you can make money off of it. Yeah, as, as we mentioned before, like investors are slowly and slowly becoming more educated on the space. Um, kind of finally, I think um, for people who work in the New York esports industry, and and it's a small world there, it's very 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 small. Uh, I think one of the things that 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 you have helped, you know, kind of grow the industry in, in, in your own ways by, by starting a meetup group. So um, for people who are not familiar, about once, you know, once a month, once every two months, um, Mo will organize an event um, either at his place or at a different location. And uh, we'll bring in, you know, in entrepreneurs, people working in the esports industry, investors, and um have a have a guest speaker, but most importantly, I think it's just a conversation, the get together, um, and and a lot of fruitful kind of business has kind of come out of that. So um, walk us through what was what was it that sparked that idea in, into your head? So I got a call from a friend of mine asking me, you know, are you going to this esports conference? And I said, no. There's you know, when you looked at the, the, the people who were presenting, I'm like, none of these people work in esports. It seems a bit like a waste of time. And, and you know, my friend said, yeah, I'm not going either. And so uh, I, I thought that um, it would be good to, to create this, uh, this meetup group of people specifically who work in esports um, or are looking to invest in esports mm-hmm. or, you know, whether it's uh, VCs or um, you know, marketing teams of, of companies that want to yeah. spend money in, in the sector, right? 
Uh, and so what we started doing was getting together and um, we would have a company talk about what they're doing in the, in the sector. So whether it's a small startup or if it's uh, you know, a bigger company that's already raised money and is, has a product, uh, they would talk a bit about what they're doing. And then afterwards, we would have a general networking session. And some of these companies that have, you know, people from the companies that I've met through this meetup are already doing business together. That's and, great. Um, so uh, wanted to do something that was positive. You know, obviously, when you're in an industry, anything that you can do to help the industry is, is good. Um, and we're doing our first one in San Francisco at GDC, actually. Yeah, yeah plug that. How can, people, how can people find the general group and how can they find... Uh, if they're going to GDC, how can they how can they find the invite to that specific event? Um, sure. So uh, we have been doing our our events uh, by invitation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you are interested and you want to be part of this, go to esportsmeetup.com. Um, there's a, a form that you can fill in. I know that's a great URL. Yes. Um, was free. <laughs> no one was not using not it. in the near future. <laughs> that those those offers are going to come near very soon. Um, uh, we'll be at uh, GDC. Also, if you um, if you, you know, follow me on on Facebook or whatever, we have a Facebook group. Um, it's called Esports Industry and Investments, uh, and we also uh, discuss things in there for for the meetups. Great. So I'm gonna let you plug one more one more thing before we end the podcast. How can people find out more about Rect? Sure. So um, you can go to our website, rect.gg. Um, you can also follow us on social media. So it's officially underscore Rect on Twitter and on Twitch. And on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash rectgg. Um, you can also contact me at any time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at electronicmo. Well, Mo, thank you very much. This was Mo Halaba, the founder and CEO of Rekt. Um, it's been a great episode, and uh, thank you for listening. We're looking forward to the next one.